Well, good morning. It's good to see you here today. We're, it's always good to be gathered as church family to offer up our worship to God. And if you're visiting here today at Savannah, we're thankful that you're here. Hope you'll be here any opportunity that you have. Obviously, in one sense, we enter our worship time today with heavy hearts, thinking about those in France who are hurting today, who've been harmed. And um, I know many of my preaching brethren today are preaching lessons that uh, call for a response there, or how do we process, and all those sorts of things. And uh, in one sense, the response is what it's always been. Uh, As Christians, we are to live ready. The only way to be safe down here is to be in a right relationship with God. And if that's not where you are today, I would challenge you uh, to make sure that you're learning what you need to learn so that you can be right with God because that is the only way to be safe uh, down here. Uh, Obviously, though, our hearts and our prayers are with those folks and hopefully out of bad, some will turn to God and look for a relationship with Him. We're in the story. This is week nine, and I hope you're enjoying this. We're about a third of the way through uh, the story, and, and we're, we're not, you know, we've been in Judges, and we're in Ruth this week, uh, but it's, it's a really good thing, and this is what we need to be sharing with the world. God chose preaching, and we preach His message, and it's His story, and that's why we're looking at that today. And so, the setting of the book of Ruth that we're in, it is set during... Uh, the time of the judges. Uh, This isn't a meaningless sidebar story. This is God using somebody not from Israel to become part of the lineage of Jesus. And so as we get started, I want us to kind of do an overview of what happens in this book of Ruth. It's only four chapters, even in your Bible. It was a short read uh, in the story this week. But chapter 1, we meet a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they live in Judah, Bethlehem of Judah, but there is a famine in the land, and so because of that, they make their way to the land of Moab, seeking relief from this famine. And while they are there, uh, their two sons marry Moabite women. So a couple of things have happened. People in a covenant relationship with God have left God's promised land and gone out of God's promised land. And then the next thing that's happening here that's kind of out of bounds as far as God's law goes, these two sons marry foreign women. But then something bad happens in that land. First, Elimelech passes away. And for about 10 years then, Naomi is a widow, but she has sons and daughters-in-law and, uh, to take care of her. But then about 10 years later, the two sons both pass away. And now here's Naomi, and she's left with these two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And they're facing very uncertain circumstances. So Naomi makes the decision, I'm hearing that there's food, I'm hearing the famine has eased, and so I'm going to make my way back to Judah. And so she first says to the two girls, she says, you all are from here, you're from Moab, you need to stay here, your blood families are here, you can remarry here, I'm going to go back, but you two stay. And the two girls, they initially respond by saying, no, we're, we're going to stay with you, we're going to follow you back, we're, we're not going to leave you. And uh, Naomi insists... And so as she insists, finally Orpah decides that she'll stay in Moab. But Ruth is very loyal. She's very devoted. She's very committed. And in some of the most famous verses out of this book of Ruth, you'll often hear them used in a wedding ceremony as devotion and loyalty are talked about. She makes this statement in Ruth chapter 1, 
He says, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And, and so Ruth says, I'm going back with you. And so Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem about the time of the barley harvest. Ruth goes to glean in the field of a man named Boaz, who turns out is a relative of Naomi's. And and as Boaz meets Ruth and knows her story and knows about Naomi, Boaz goes far and above the the minimum call of duty. He reaches out to them and he, he says, Listen, I don't want you to go to any other part of the field except mine. I want you to glean right here. I know you're a foreigner, but I'm going to protect you. I'm telling my men to not touch you, to leave you alone. And in fact... He actually tells his guys to leave extra out there so that that Naomi and Ruth can have plenty to eat. And so Ruth gets home and she tells Naomi who she's met and Naomi's excited. She says, this is one of our close relatives. And so the story continues. You move to chapter 3 and Naomi comes up with a plan. It's it's near the, the, the end of the harvest has come and... She has a plan put in place where Ruth is going to clean up and dress up. And, and what the scholars tell us there, she is going to send a signal that signifies her mourning is over. She's making herself available for marriage again. She says, I want you to go in at night after uh, Boaz has eaten and he's drank and he's laying down. And I want you to go in and uncover his feet and lay down there. And then he's going to tell you what to do. And so when Boaz discovers Ruth in the middle of the night and figures out who it is, he says, what we've got to do here is, I'm willing to marry you, but but I'm not the first in line for this. There is a closer relative than I, and we've got to figure out if this closer relative than I is willing to redeem you, is willing to, to step in and be the kinsman redeemer. And so he loads Ruth up with food, sends her back home, and then the next day he goes... And he finds this guy. He finds the closer relative and he he gets some witnesses there at the city gate and he talks to the man and he says, are you going to redeem this land that's Naomi's? Are Are you going to redeem the land? And the guy says, yeah, I'll redeem the land. But then Boaz says, but there's also Ruth. There's a family name to be carried on. Are you going to also marry her? And then the other guy, the closer relative, he says, well, I'm out then because that would jeopardize my own, uh, my own inheritance, my own family. I'm not going to do it. And so Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son named Obed. Naomi, grandma, becomes Obed's nurse. And wouldn't you know it, Ruth ends up being the great-grandmother of King David. The line through ultimately Jesus is going to come. And so we see this great upper story plan in place. God's not mentioned a lot, but God is active. And it's a great story. You've, you've got these three main characters. And we could, we could preach separate lessons on each one. We could, we could talk about Naomi. You know, she's a widow, but one where seemingly more has been put on her plate than is fair. A widow would normally be taken care of by her sons, but she has no sons now. And she's left with these two daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law and she's facing very uncircum circumstances and she wants to do what's best for them. You know, I want to say, you all stay here while I go back. And it's one of those where possibly she's blaming God for her situation. At a minimum, she's questioning God a little bit and being deeply honest about her struggles. Uh, Notice chapter 1 beginning in verse 20. As she gets back to Bethlehem, she makes the statement, Do not call me Naomi. 
Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? See, Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. And then there's Ruth. The book is named after her. Ruth seems to be the exception to the rule. In other words, God's law had been you don't marry a non-Israelite because if you marry somebody who's not in a covenant relationship with me, that person that you marry will draw your attention away from me and you'll follow that other person's gods. But Ruth is loyal. And Ruth is devoted. And Ruth is selfless. She's thinking more about the needs of Naomi than she is her own needs. And she's the one, she says, I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to follow the God. Really good verse in Ruth chapter 2 verse 11 that talks about her great reputation. This is right after she meets Boaz and he makes this statement to her. He says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Her great character is is beginning to be well known. And then there's Boaz. I entitled this lesson, our study, our brief time today, I entitled it One Good Man because I believe that really describes Boaz. And so for the few minutes that we have this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about what we can learn from this good man. And we're going to do that in looking at four key statements. This good man who stepped into kind of a messy situation and who saved both Ruth and Naomi. So let's think about what we can learn from Boaz. Number one, while wealth presents its challenges... It can also position us to do life-changing things for other people. See, Boaz was a wealthy man and his wealth positioned him to be able to help these two. One of the very first things we're told in the text about Boaz is that he's well off. Notice chapter 2, verse 1 of Ruth. The Bible says, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. See, by reaching out into the plight of Naomi and Ruth, it's going to cost him something. I mean, this isn't an opportunity for him to be even more wealthy. This is an opportunity for him to to help someone else. It's going to cost him something to, to dive into this situation. And so he's saying, I'm going to give up some of what I've earned. I'm going to give up some of what I could have earned. And I'm going to do that to bless you. And later on he's going to step in and say, and I'll redeem the land. And I'm going to redeem Ruth. For us... Sometimes a lack of perceived wealth, that shouldn't prevent us from seeking to be a blessing to other people. Now, we've talked sometimes about the idea that we don't like to perceive ourselves as being well off. We don't like to perceive ourselves as being wealthy. But, But most of us, because of where we are, because of where God's placed us, we have a lot. And, and like the New Testament teaches us, we, we've got to be on guard against the idea that when we're wealthy, it can divide our loyalties, it can turn us away from God. But we ought to live with this constant awareness that, that the material blessings that we have, they position us 
can make a life-changing difference sometimes in the lives of others. And we see that in Boaz. Number two, an imperfect past can position us to be more merciful to people in need. Now, and we don't know a great deal about how Boaz grew up. Somehow he became wealthy. We don't know a lot about that. But we find something in Matthew chapter 1, which is not one of our favorite chapters. It's all those genealogies, and we kind of get lost reading those kinds of things. But we're told something very interesting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. We're told that the mother of Boaz is none other than Rahab. And you may remember Rahab because we met her. She's helping those spies out. She's a Canaanite woman. She's a prostitute. And because she helps them and because she's spared, she ends up marrying in to the Jews. Well, she's the mother of Boaz. So I don't know what his growing up life was like. And likely Rahab's life changed when she got married. But, but, but notice what the Bible says about his willingness to reach into this situation. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of, of Moab. She's a foreigner. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she became and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field where they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from that that what the servants draw. See, he sees her, he knows she's a foreigner. His mother's a foreigner. And so sometimes, we don't know what his past was, but a lot of times the past, what we've been through, what we've lived through, what we've seen, even though some of it may not always be pleasant, even though some of our past may not be what we'd like it to be, sometimes that past can help us be more merciful, it can help us identify better, it can help us connect better with people who have needs. We need to be mindful of those who are in need. So sometimes we're tempted to let the past stand in the way of us being a blessing to people. But sometimes a past may well help us connect and be more effective than we would have otherwise been. Number three this morning, Boaz honored God by embracing his role as the kinsman redeemer. Chapter 3, Naomi has crafted this plan for Ruth to go and make herself available to Boaz. The idea, I'm done mourning, I, I want to be married, I, I want to marry you. And, and so she puts on her good clothes and dresses up and goes in at night. And uh, notice the response from Boaz in chapter 4, or chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you said I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. Uh, So she lays down, and you get to verse 9. Middle of the night, uh, Boaz 
or verse 8, it happened in the middle of the night that the woman was startled and the man was startled and bent forward and behold a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth your maid. So spread your covering over your maid for you're a close relative. In other words, redeem me. She's, she's pleading for him to redeem her. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you're a woman of excellence. Now, it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there's a closer relative than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning." We see Boaz honoring God. See, Boaz could have gone the route of saying, well, this really isn't my problem. And in one sense, he would have been exactly right. It wasn't his problem. It's not his fault there had been a famine. And it's not his fault that Elimelech had chosen to leave the chosen, uh, the promised land and go to Moab. That wasn't his fault. It's not his fault that Elimelech had passed away. It's not his son fault that the sons had passed away. None of that's his fault. And he's, he's not the first in line for this responsibility either. It's not really his job. There's a closer relative who by law was supposed to be stepping into this situation. Uh, one of the guys that I was reading who wrote about this, he said, what you see in Boaz is him not responding to the letter of the law, but he responds to the spirit of the law. Because he steps up and he says, if the other guy will not step in, I'll be that guy. We see him honoring God. And we honor God when we selflessly think about the well-being of others ahead of our own well-being. Well, then number four this morning, we, to think about Boaz is to think about a man who could just be counted on to do the right thing. In 2015, can you put a face and a name on a modern-day Boaz? Somebody in your life, somebody you know, a person who can just be always counted on to do the right thing. I think of one of my buddies from growing up days, his name's Tim, lives up in western Kentucky. And all the way back to when we were young, he was that guy in the group that you could just count on to do what was right. And he was a year or two older than me. He started driving before I did. And so my mom, she's a worrier, but, but if, if we were going to be out somewhere, if she knew Tim was along, she worried a little less. Because he was responsible. He was just going to do the right thing. And uh, we'd get tickets to a concert in Nashville and, you know, 15 years old and you're going to mom saying, we're going to go to Nashville. And she was very nervous about that. And for you, any of you who parented without cell phones and brought some of us up, man, that's amazing. I don't know how you did it. But she worried less when Tim was along. And today he, he builds houses and he's still that same way today. And as a builder, he's always booked way out. And a lot of it's because people know he's going to do the right thing. And he does good work. 
Maybe you know a modern day Boaz because what we see here is a guy, that, that, that's his life. He's just going to step in. He's going to do a right, the right thing. You think about it. Middle of the night, you wake up to find a younger, available woman laying at your feet asking what's next. And you know what his next thought is? He says, well, what we've got to do here is honor God by making sure we go to this other guy and give him the option to redeem you if that's what he's willing to do. And Boaz isn't a procrastinator either. There's a lesson for me right there. Sometimes if I can put that off to tomorrow, I'll put that right off to tomorrow. But Naomi makes this comment about Boaz in chapter 3, verse 18. She says, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he's settled it today. In other words, when Ruth gets home that next morning, Naomi says, He will go get this taken care of today. Some of us could learn from that. And so he does go take care of that. He goes and he fulfills that role of being a kinsman redeemer. He goes to that city gate and he gets some witnesses there with the elders and he confronts the man who should be stepping into this and asks, okay, are you you going to take care of this? And the man says, well, I'll redeem the land. But then when he mentions that Ruth is a part of the deal, the man says, no, that would mess up my inheritance. And so when you get to chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, so Boaz took Ruth... And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And that son is Obed. And as we said at the outset, a part of that lineage of Jesus, Obed gives birth to Jesse, who is the father of David, King David, who later on, through his line, we would see Jesus. Let's think about today for just a moment. As we live life, In 2015, here in the United States of America, is it our ongoing goal to make a redemptive difference in the lives of others? In other words, not just to do a nice thing, but to to do a nice thing in the name of the Lord whereby somebody sees the light of, of God, the light of Christ, the idea that we're living such a way that they see something that they want. Could our blood families use more men like Boaz? Could our communities use more men like Boaz? Could our church families use more men like Boaz? You think about it. There are lonely people today here in Savannah, Tennessee, who for whatever reason they feel like outsiders. They're wanting acceptance. They're looking for acceptance. They just don't know where to look yet. What might we be able to do for them? It's possible that there may be some right here within the church family who are uh, lonely, possibly in need, possibly still feeling like outsiders. How can we help them find acceptance and that sense of belonging that they're so desperately seeking? We have some widows in this room this morning. This, this, this whole thing centers around the idea that you've got three widows in play. One who stays in Moab, but two who come back. Widows who maybe are facing some uncertainties. Now yes, Boaz is family to Naomi and Ruth. And yes, God's plan under the old law is first that family take care of widows. His plan in the New Testament is first that families take care of widows. And so I get that. Sadly, families are not always in a position to step up. Sometimes families refuse to step up. And so the question is, can our widows who are our spiritual family, can they go to sleep at night confident that even if their own families aren't positioned to help them, 
that they know they'll be taken care of by their spiritual family. I think of Wayne Atkins. Uh, He lived down in Alabama. and I think of him about this time of year because one of the areas of ministry that he was involved in, he would quietly, along with his wife Ruth, they uh, they would buy some turkeys for some of the widows and they would take them some food and they'd check on them to see what their needs might be. And as they would reach out and help those widows, they would usually conclude by saying, now kind of just keep this quiet. We don't want to, we don't want fanfare with what we're doing here. Well, word did get around among the widows. But most of us never knew about that ministry until we attended Wayne's funeral. And some of those stories began to be told. Can our widows know that they're going to be taken care of? See, God calls us. He calls us to be agents of, uh, of hope and acceptance on His behalf. He calls us to make a redemptive difference in the lives of others. In other words, God is calling every one of us to be a Boaz to somebody. Is your life aligned to the upper story of God today? In other words, sometimes the lower story is a mess. It was kind of a mess for Ruth and Naomi. But is my life surrendered to Him to the point that it means I'm willing to selflessly invest myself into the life of somebody else? Because we honor God when we live that way. I love Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and give or and glorify your Father who's in heaven. See, Boaz was very perceptive to the fact that, that, that Ruth and Naomi, that they had a need. And the other thing that I want to mention as we think about our widows and as we think about sometimes people who may have needs, our culture conditions us to never raise our hand and say, I need help. But as a family, if you do need some help, try to overcome that. Try to have a willingness to to, to be willing to say, "I, I need some help. I need someone to talk to. I'm facing some uncertainties. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And and you don't have to scream that from the mountaintops, but just let somebody know. And then when we know, we can be much more effective in reaching out and helping. Finally today, Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. In other words, He came and He gave His life to buy you back. Are you His child today? Have you been baptized into Him? Maybe you're walking in one of those valleys today and you need the prayers of the church, but maybe you're ready to put Christ on in baptism to become His child. If you have a need today, while Bradley leads us in the song he selected, let that be known while we stand.